So welcome back, Grief Nation listeners, to another series. And I have a very special guest today, Elizabeth Hope Brown. And we're here in the series for A Woman on the Ride. Hope Brown is the director at the Housing Authority. In a previous role, she was a social worker at the Medical College of Georgia at Augusta's University Department of Psychiatry and Health Behavior. Elizabeth has worked in diverse social service communities. As a case manager, treatment navigator, she has served as an advocate to help individuals through medical and social service environments, removing related barriers of care while providing practical and emotional support. Elizabeth is the founder of Lizzie's Hope, a nonprofit platform dedicated to inspiring women and building healthy families, and co founder of EST 1441 Publishing Company. Brown is also an entrepreneur, self published author of And On the Seventh Day She Rests, and sequel She Rests The Ophelia. Elizabeth is an empowerment speaker with over 20 years of community development experience, serving in faith based communities, social services, communities, and schools. She is also the host of She Rests Book Club broadcast, inviting guests for all walks of life to share their stories to provide information on special topics. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you? I am good. Very happy to be here with you on this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, uh, Elizabeth and I was a part of the um, Black CEO um, National Conference, and we were on a panelist together, and that's how I was able to meet this beautiful young lady and all of the wonderful things that she's doing for our community. And so, Elizabeth, once again, welcome. Um, Can you please share your journey of any life-altering change and or event that you have learned how to process your grief and emotions? Unfortunate question. I was like, God, I've had so many in our family at such young ages that uh, they really were transitional. Uh, I think the most traumatic and the most life changing uh, as a teenager, my sister and my cousin were in a a very tragic uh, accident. And I'm not going to details. It's not quite my story to tell, um, but it truly affected our entire family, uh, the way that it came about and, and the way that it happened. I mean, media was involved, policy changes within the government. And uh, much like advocacy uh, with uh, what you do with uh, suicide prevention and gun violence, it had to do with drinking and driving. And so uh, it just really shocked our family. And then uh, also as a teenager and young adult, my grandparents all passed uh, in their 60s of cancer. And at the time, to me, I thought they were of age to pass. I'm thinking 60s is old. Now that I'm older and I know that's actually quite young uh, for uh, all of my grandparents to die of different forms of cancer in their 60s. So the the, the fear of turning 60 in my family, you know, was very, <laughs> very yeah. present. Uh, so a lot of us uh, early on had to start thinking about the life goals and, and changes uh, that were that were going to happen. And said milestones of what did you really want out of life because life is filled with swift transitions and as early as uh, my sister and cousin I believe they were 18 and 19 I was about 16 so they had to be about 18 and 19 when that accident happened my cousin passed my sister survived uh, and then with the grandparents I was in my teens and the young 20s when they all started passing away grandparents and great-grandparents yeah. so uh, the longevity in our family having grandparents in their 80s 90s you know hundreds uh, now that I'm in the southeast it wasn't there 
Um, as an adult, these last five years, uh, I've experienced grief and trauma in a different way. Uh, after nearly 20 years of marriage, I went through a divorce and I better understand now why they compare uh, the death of a loved one with the death of uh, a lifestyle because it was very traumatic. And then um, uh, my oldest son I had prior to marriage, his father passed at 51. So definitely an unexpected uh, transition for us. So um, each time those things happen, I think for me, I just had to really transition to even though these deaths occurred or these tragedies occurred to keep living and then was even more assertive about living life even more abundant because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. These deaths were not like, uh, well, the cancer's deaths were long term and terminal, but the other deaths were tragic. They were, you know, today you're just fine. Tomorrow you're gone. And with my sister and cousin for years, like when my cousin's birthday would come, I would still wake up having dreams as if she was still with us, you know, just really transitioning that this person is no longer with us in body, you know, on earth. So just really learning to set goals and celebrate milestones and, and doing things, um, even afraid, uh, but finding a purpose and finding my need and knowing that if I don't do these things, I may not have another opportunity, you know, to do these things, even if other people don't understand while I'm doing it. So uh, definitely for me, uh, pressing through and living life more abundantly through grief has helped me sustain uh, my life and my lifestyle. Because a lot of times when those things happen, you just want to stop breathing too. And, and you want to just say, you know what? <laughs> this right here too heavy for me, God. I need you to go ahead and just, because uh, I've had those moments. It was just like, you know what? Just, if I stop breathing today, it is okay. Because this is just too much for me to bear. And especially when, not that I'm a perfect person, but when you're trying to live a life, when you're trying to do good by others, you're trying to help other people, you're trying to, you know, stay clear of, of illegal being a good citizen you know you're, you're trying to be a good citizen and a good person all around and then these things still happen you know it really makes you go into your inner self and say okay god what's my purpose in this now this didn't happen just for no reason why did you allow these things to happen if you're a believer of sovereign things you know you know nothing happens within his without his will and permissive will so you say okay god you're omniscient you allow these things to happen in my life so what is it am I supposed to be getting from this? <laughs> because it's starting to feel a little unbalanced and unfair. So <laughs> now you, sh you talked about um, a very, very um, life altering event that happens to a lot of people, uh, a very uh, detrimental to our spirit of losing a relationship when it's right. um, in divorce. Right. Um, I, I should say. Um, and a lot of people sometimes don't even feel like, um, why are you still grieving? Or, or didn't that happen, you know, some time ago? But you, right. like you said, that was a lifetime uh, long event of 20 years. And how right. do you just be able to move through that? Um, were right. there any unforeseen signs or challenges in which you shared with our listeners about all of the losses, but particularly um, um, in divorce that, um, others could actually understand if there's any similarities or um, to the same adversities that uh, they may be having because of a separation or a divorce? Um, well, to start off with the first one, like as a teenager to watch another teenager pass away, that's very difficult because as teenagers, you think you're going to live forever. You don't think nothing like that would happen. So I think that as a, if I was talking to my teenage self, I would say, you know, still be cautious in your, in your, in your doings. You never know what tomorrow may bring. And it was one of those situations where they're going to the store. My little nephew, who's two was crying because they left him. You know, it was my other little cousin's birthday. My sister was scheduled to go get uh, um, in, in, induced for her second child. So it was so many life things happening on that same 
same day that, you know, just, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was very traumatic for the whole family all around. So even as teens, like, don't live your life as it was that YOLO, they say, you only live once, you know, still be very cautious because when these things happen, it doesn't just happen to your life. It happens to your parents. It happens to your grandparents. It happens to your siblings. You know, I'll never forget coming to the hospital and seeing my auntie, I mean, just totally just crying and crying and then going into the ER to see my sister who still didn't know my cousin had passed. I mean, I'm just right now, I haven't talked about this in so many years, my goodness. Um, but she was like, me and my posse, because they used to call each other posse, and just like, no one's told her that my cousin didn't make it, you know? And so I think for these young people just realizing, and it wasn't even just, it, and they were not at fault, even people who, who are who are practicing uh, dangerous behavior. If you have habits and substance abuse issues or whatever, you're not just hurting yourself. You're putting everything and everyone in the community around you at risk now. And then there's very long-term effects of it. I've raised my kids with those fears. You know, be careful when you drive. You're not driving just for yourself. And this is something that happened nearly 30 years ago, with 30 plus years ago now, you know. Um, with the grandparents, it was different because I watched them go back to feeble stages. You know, if you ever seen anyone die or pass away with cancer or any long-term terminal illness and to watch my mother bathe and take care of my grandmother calling her pretty girl it was just really difficult now as my mother's daughter watching her take care of her mother and she never wanted it to be a situation where someone found my grandmother by herself so she moved her in the home with her and then her and her siblings would rotate but it was her primary care her passion and her choice to make sure my grandmother was taken care of 24 hours out of the day until she passed you know and yeah. so and they were all surrounded with her i was at the park when she took her last breath so um <clears throat> I think that for some people, for that transition, it was different because they saw the her take her last breath and see how life happens, you know, and how to value every breath that you take today, you know, just as sure as you're breathing, that's a blessing because everyone's not going to get another breath after that. And then with the divorce, um, I married a young preacher, started preaching when he was 19. Uh, he became a pastor. So there was no signs that you could have told me that we were going to be divorced. Now, there was trauma and, and incidents within the marriage. Yes. Was it a happy situation? Absolutely not. It was traumatic for me, him and the kids. But with the faith that we were practicing and with the and, and at the level that we were practicing, it, you know, you're talking this this grand preaching prolific preacher, well sought out, and this, you know, boisterous, you know, a, a aggressive, uh, what do you call it? Uh, we're, we're, we were the progressive type of, of ministry. So I'm empowering women, and, and but then me empowering other women became more of a you being a feminist. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm we're, we're preaching for everybody to become the greatest version right. of themselves, not just the patriarchal side, you know, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Everybody's daring to be who God created and purposed them to be. But with traditional settings, we talked a little bit about that before. Uh, that's that's what they're saying, but in essence, that's not what's being practiced. So it caused conflict, and so it was very hurtful and detrimental because early in the marriage, we were that you know uh, we're gonna evangelize, we're gonna travel the world. When the kids retire, we're gonna get an RV and go from city to city, you know, and save souls. And then. Um, the older we got, the more political it got, the more degrees that were earned and the more accolades achieved, those things we talked about early on were forgotten. And all of a sudden I'm like out here by myself, like, hey, I thought we were doing one thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, jumped on board with the scribes and Pharisees. Like what happened? Right. <laughs> so, wow. 
So that for me probably was more detrimental because then after the divorce, the last five years was, okay, uh, my older son graduated college. Are you coming or not? You know, then my younger son graduated from high school. Are you going to be there or not? My daughter has her first pageant. You still got fundraising events and stuff. And our co-parenting didn't work out. Um, we got divorced like in March, the next month and a half, he got remarried. We didn't even know you were engaged. So my kids and I didn't even know, you know, like these transitions were taking place. So it was really difficult for us because it was so many unknowns. So, you know, when someone passed away, you go to the wake and stuff, cause you can see the body, this is your last time. With divorce, how do you mourn the living? Cause this is not like it's someone who's no longer attainable to you. They're choosing yeah. not to keep their word. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. That one was more difficult to grieve through for me in divorce because it's more delusional. You're trying to, first of all, convince yourself, did we really just get divorced? And then why do we get divorced? And what happened to all the love and the romance and the promises? You know, this is not a God, this, well, it's, it's God allowed, but it's not like a natural event. It's not an accident. It's not a drowning. It's not a, it's a choice. People yeah. are making decisions at this point. Yeah. And some decisions are not being made with consideration to the other person, you know, the, the other, the children, the community, the, the people in the church who's watching you, the community of people who's respecting you, you know, and I'm telling you already, this is the most I've talked about this. <laughs> you know what? It's so perfect because all I kept seeing is, and I know we're going to get to the business of the business that you do, right, right, right. everything that you have outside of, you know, your, your, your work life, but also your entrepreneurship. We're going to dive into that, but I just keep seeing or feeling or wanting to ask, um, I know you have an empowerment um, organization where you empower women. Um, is a piece of that dedicated to women in ministry? Okay, so it is. So that's what I'm saying. It all linked yeah, together. So I the just divorce see that, that was this like, what this is for. Right. So, but you know, I'm going to say from the beginning, in the beginning, you know, was the word and the word was God. From the beginning, before I was yet in my mother's womb, God ordained all of this and he knew it would happen. Because when I looked at the questions and the timelines, I went back to, so as I'm the pastor's wife, first lady, I'm teaching Sunday school, I'm empowering women, I'm doing women's classes, youth classes, youth Friday night lives. And I was sending out daily text devotional messages. Uh -huh. And one of the young ladies, Victoria Ford, she sent me a message and she said, Miss Brown, have you ever thought about doing Facebook? Now, mind you, at this time, to me, like Facebook is demonic social media. My kids and I weren't allowed to do it. Uh -huh. You know, we, that's just too much information. It's messy. And so um, Lizzie's Hope was launched because it was a free platform. At this time, now we aging ourselves. When you had cell phone plans and family plans, you got limited text messages. Right. And if you start going over, you start using your spouse or your kids or whoever's on that plans minutes. So they wanted me to keep sending the daily devotionals, but they didn't want me using up their minutes and their text data, data plan. Yeah. They didn't want me using up the data plan. Just so happened, I'm watching one of the news stations and Facebook had just launched the public pages where you can create a business page. And on the business page, you don't have friend requests or nothing like that. It's basically for marketing. You yeah. post, that you people can like it, share it, comment it. You're telling them about your nonprofit or you're telling them about your business and it's not personal. So Lizzie's Hope got started as a nonprofit platform dedicated to my grandma, Lizzie. And my grandmother, uh, when she got, it was so ironic, in 2000, she passed of lung cancer. And when she got sick, to her final time that she got sick, found out later on she had several appointments and she knew she had cancer prior to telling us that she knew she had cancer. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. She called me one day and she said, you know, I hope I'm sick. I need you to come pick me up. And I'm like, grandma, like, you know, and then she says, don't tell your mom. Hold on, hold on. Like, you, know, you put me in a predicament. So, <laughs> right. 
but that generation, you know, they're yeah. not going to be burdensome. They don't tell, yeah. like, this this generation now, everything, you in the ER with your uh, emergency room, I'm in the hospital on Facebook. Like, that generation just didn't do all that. But she called me and she said, don't tell your mom. So I get to the hospital and at this point, they give me all of my grandmother's belongings and they come out and they say, is there anyone that you want to call? You know, the cancer has progressed. I'm like, huh? So I'm at the emergency room by myself with my grandmother and I call my mom and I was like, mom, grandma called me and said, she was sick and they said she got cancer you know like by that time she i said my mama she told me don't tell you you know what i'm saying so yeah i'm it's just me and grandma at this point you know and my grandma and i we were close but we, i didn't realize we were that kind of close to where she put me in this predicament but she saw something in me and one of the things when we left the house she had this little those old school address books that kind of had the velcro and you open it up when we, we used to actually write down addresses she handed me her address book she handed me her billfold or her you know her, her <laughs> billfold yeah. and it had her id and her information and stuff and she told me that she wanted me to write her story. Well, I have yet to write a biographical story about my grandmother. Sixth grade was when I first said I was going to write a book. We had this school project and we had construction paper and cardboard boxes and we bound a book together. And I say I became an author then at sixth grade, but it took nearly 30 years for me to publish my first book. And when I initially thought to do it, I wanted to petition to my family and say, you know, grandma asked me to write her story. If it's six of us write our story, you know, we can do it that way and it'd be easiest. Well, again, in our people of color and cultures, nobody wanted to do that. I mean, because we have some real traumatic things that we're still dealing with and processing individually. And everybody's not like me. They're not ready. <laughs> you know? And they may never be ready. And that's fine. So they made it more challenging. So then as a social worker, I worked in psychiatry and behavior health for four years. I've been doing public service work for over 25 years. And so I had to create stories without looking like I was de-identifying family members, which made it more harder because... I could have easily told their stories and just changed their names. But out of respect and love to my family, I didn't do it that way. So, you know, there's some things in there. Definitely, you see tidbits of me and my kids like, oh, mom, at first I thought you were talking about this person, but then they kept reading. So um, I'm human. So there are some things that it's like, I can't take this out because it didn't even just happen to you at this point. You're doing social yeah. work and believing in the Bible and reading God's word. There's nothing new under the sun. And sometimes you think you're the only person that have gone through this. But if we were more tr transparent and had more platforms like this, early on you'll learn you're not the first you're not going to be the last and you don't need to be in this silo going through it by yourself other people have experienced some form of what you've gone through and you all can help each other along the way so i um, believe that uh grandma lizzie just showed up and and she had her way to, today uh because yeah. she has to truly transitioned this <laughs> yeah, so, our yeah, questioning. So, yeah that's uh, how i so, came about grandma said yeah grandma said tell her story so uh lizzie salt was born in 2013 and I was still married at the time, but I, it, it rolled so much friction, I think, in my former spouse and he didn't know where it was going. And, oh, you just a feminist? I'm like, what? Like the whole goal, like you don't even know the conversations that I had as a child with God. You don't even know the conversations that I had with Grandma Lizzie. This has nothing to do with you. This has nothing to do with the church. You know, now you got the deacons and the trustees. She talking too much. She empowering people too much. It's like, you acting like you the pastor. No, I'm acting like I'm Elizabeth Hope Brown doing the will of God, doing the will of my grandmother, you know, so. So how, do, how, did, how did the women that was a part of, you know, everything that you were pouring into them, how, you know, that was also a, a, a living death for them too. Now that's that was the problem. So yeah. <laughs> that was the problem. What they happened were with that? Did they um, 
So I started a Sunday school class. We were going to, we were attending the church. He started passing the church. We were at a mega church and he went and answered the call of pastor, a smaller church. And it was a smaller church where the members, it was a dying church. And we were resurrecting the church, resuscitating the church. And I remember it was so many things he asked me to do. Like, Elizabeth, I need you just to do this until I get somebody else to do it. It was probably 20, 25 active members coming to church at that point. The church grew in three years from like 20 active people to about 500 people coming. My Sunday school class, we split it, the men and women. We started off with like maybe nine women and then it grew to like 10, then it was 20. And then I think we got up to like 45 women actively coming, which was a problem. They growing, you know, the men's class only had so many. The women's class had more. Then we in there having pre-church. And so then it was like, y'all be late all the time, you know, <laughs> from Sunday school. Well, yeah, we do that. Yeah. So they were, we were thriving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. was having church within the church, but it was never with the idea of we're yeah. going to overthrow the men or we don't need the pastor. It was in my mind, that's not what I was doing. But later on, after the divorce, after everything else, I can see that's how it was being perceived. And a lot of people think that my marriage struggle had to do with infidelity and all this. That stuff came up later on as an egotistic response to more of a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. So um, maturity, you know, we started ministry young. We were 20 and 22 when we got married. You know, leading churches, preaching to 60-year-olds and we 20 and 22 years old, teaching Sunday school, you know, people, you know, 20, 30 years older than us. Because it's a a gifted leadership. It's not something that you can teach to people. It's a calling. Yeah. So Lizzie's Hope got started in 2013. And then that was a nonprofit platform to empower women. And I started girls scholarship, memorial scholarship fund in my grandmother's name. So in a way, I'm telling her story, but I'm not just telling grandma's story. I'm telling all of our story. And so from that, when I wrote the first book, um, the author pages developed because I didn't want to exploit the Lizzie's Hope page and turn it into a for-profit page. So the author page was established because I do sell books, I do sell merch and products, and I'm, I'm a believer of keeping things separate, you know, um, the, the, the Lizzie's hope is about empowering, encouraging, helping people through the grieving process, helping people through life transitions, building healthy families, healthy families talk about difficult conversations, yeah. healthy families talk about illness in the family, healthy families talk about mental health, healthy families talk about generational curses. So when my kids and I went through a divorce process, they understood mama did some things wrong. Daddy did some things wrong. When you all get into this situation, maybe you can avoid some of the things that we went through, you know, if the things happen so that's where you'll see the hashtag building healthy families on lizzie's hope and then you'll see raising the joshua generation for persons that are bible-based or even read the bible-less literature uh the story about the moses generation they had to wander for 400 years it was 40 years in, in the wilderness before they can go to the promised land moses was disobedient he hit the rock so he he still had to finish the mission but he couldn't go into the promised land so when i say i'm raising the joshua generation as divorced from a pastor as a divorced pastor's wife your dad and i fell off we didn't do some things correctly god is still going to bless us and keep his promises and bless our children and our children's children but we not we're not gonna get rewarded for some of the things of the promised land but the joshua generation my children and my children's children they will so you don't get to say well i messed up god ain't gonna forgive me or my life ain't gonna be better because these things happen no you keep working because now you're working so that your children can be rewarded and they can inherit the good credit they can inherit the happier life they can inherit inherit the marriage until death do us part we did better than our parents our parents weren't married no 20 years <laughs> my mom didn't marry until after she had all her kids you know so right so throughout that process what was the greatest teacher um in that you would think 
Uh, submission to life will. The greatest teacher for me has been, you cannot control everything. I've always been, you know, they say adult, the uh, onset adult ADD or OCD or whatever acronym you want to put with it. But I've always liked to do things structured. Growing up in school, I've always had good grades. I've always been good in sports. So things really came natural for me. So I always thought that if you just do what the teacher said, do, you won't get in trouble. If you just do this and that, you're going to be great at it. So you go into adult life thinking you really are controlling these things not realizing that God is allowing things to happen for you and then as you get humbled through life's processes and grief experiences and death and divorce you realize you're really not in control <laughs> and right. whatever's going to happen is going to be and so you learn that you have control over some things, but you don't have control over all things. So for me, pressing through the process has been submission to the fact that you can't control life. You, you yeah. can try, Absolutely. try as you may, but understand that you're limited within your control. So that don't take away ownership and accountability. You have a role to play, but the role is not in all in your power. You know, people Absolutely. can make choices for themselves. As a social worker, that was the most difficult lesson. You don't, you're not the expert of people. People are the expert of themselves. They do what they want to do for themselves. And until they feel like they need to make a change or they deserve something different, you can't force that upon them. You mm -hmm. can make yourself available to them. Right. So when they're ready to transition, that you know you can. So, and that's hard because you see people hurting. You see people lacking. You see remedies to where I can help you fix that credit. I can help you get out that domestic violence situation. I can help your kid get a scholarship for college. But until that's something that they want to do, you're working in vain. Absolutely. Oh, I totally agree. Um, yeah. um, one of my favorite uh, things to always say is you have to you have the opportunity and the grace enough to decide and right. to make choices to choose, you know, what you want to do in life to better yourself right. and to move right. forward. Um, let's talk about some things that kind of happened um, last year a little bit and um, how that shifted, you know, just everyone's mental health, which was during the pandemic. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. And why do you feel that talking about mental health matter? And you did speak on that a little bit, but I want to dive a little bit more into it. Uh, mental health matters because I used to always tell people, especially like in the, in the you know faith-based community or even children in school. I used to teach middle school for seven years. You know, sometimes you're making decisions as insurance policies for the future because you never know what really may happen. When the pandemic hit, I know my prayer life and a lot of things I set up financially, uh, it sustained me because I always started thinking once a few things happened early on in life, I started planning just in case, you know. So just in case this does happen, I did have some insurance prayers and some insurance budget and some insurance mindset that, okay, it's time just to be still. It's time for us just to kind of calm our anxiety, see what's going to happen next. How long is these vaccines going to take place? This is not the time to do. I'm a doer. I think I'm supposed to be working and doing something all the time, but there's a time to be still, you know, to everything there's a season. That was what we started in 2016 about she rests. You know, sometimes we're working even with the best of intentions and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing too much. So I just took the pandemic on as a piggybacking. Everything that I've done from Lizzie's Hope to publishing the first book and on the seventh day she rests and starting the she rest journey, it all complements and piggybacks on one another. So when the pandemic hit, first it was a be still season just to get some rest. Maybe this is God's way of just sitting you down. Cause I was getting really overworked again. I had so many trips planned and so many things that I wanted to do a third book I'm trying to launch and publish. And so my first inclination was just to be still, get some rest, calm my nerves, still very optimistic, March, April, May, June, still, you know, I was posting weekly, you know, telling everybody, okay, you can't go to the shop, but back in the day we washed our own hair. You know what I mean? Like 
posting pictures weekly of me curling my own hair. I, I had the little foot spas, you know, do your own feed. We don't got so spoiled, take things for granted. You know, you, you can't, what you are depending on other people for, a lot of us got out of taking care of yourself, mm -hmm. cooking your own meals. So, but then by about June, July, all the propaganda with politics, all the mistruths, all the false leads, people started to get discouraged now. You know, your reserve money getting low, your tendencies, like I was used to traveling. Now I'm going through withdrawals, like the sun is out. People yeah. wanting to go back outside. It was a little different in March because it was still kind of cold and stuff, yeah. the time hadn't changed. But now we want to be liberated. And I think now we're starting to feel trapped. And so for me mentally, it was getting to be a little overwhelming. Then my royalty checks from my book stopped. And then it was like, okay, maybe if you do a couple lives, you can start reconnecting because connectivity is important for health. You know, sometimes you need me time to yourself, but sometimes you need to be able to connect to people. And this is where virtual world really saved, I think, a lot of us. Because I started the She Rest broadcast. I said I would do it a couple of times just to see what would happen, you know. Yeah. And then the more I did it, the more people started reaching out. And the more I was, again, reminded that you're not the only one going through this. And especially for those of us that are used to being in positions of leadership, used to encouraging other people, used to telling other people it's going to be all right. They're not calling you, telling you the same thing because they're so dependent on you being the leader who's calling the leader yeah you know so then it was like how we ended up with black and iconic it was like i saw it, it was like okay i need to yoke up with some people stronger than me and where am i going to find these people so the presumption was whoa they all you know they the gurus and i'm the the you know low person at the totem pole but even with that experience, as we express, the more we all start talking to one another, even with all our degrees and accolades and, and experience, <laughs> we, are, right. we, are, we are all still at bay level trying to figure this thing out. Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm really grateful that we connected and we shared a platform and we were panelists talking about, you know, Black Woman Confidential and some of the confidences that we've had, you know, with one another that uh, not confidential in private, but confident in saying that we could talk about these things and we're going to still get through these things. Talking about it don't mean we're not going to survive it and thrive through it. Talking about it don't make it more real. Whether you talk about it or not, it's real. That's what yeah, you yeah. need to get out of. Not talking about it don't make it not real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Talking about it don't exploit it. It makes it get you to that place where you can start healing through it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm so glad that in 2016, when we started this, uh, she was journey and published that first book and it's a seven book sequel uh, originally I was going to just write a big book just letting it all out just you know people need to talk about all this stuff and it was like no that's not how you do that because it's not a sprint it's a marathon yeah, and yeah, people yeah. need to get used to having these conversations not making them be stigmatic and taboo making it be normal that you're talking about these things because so many generations and so many years before them even prior to divorce we had different times of separation and I remember uh, my grandmother before she passed she said baby you young people People, you know, a woman I'll never leave her husband. I'm like, grandma, it was homicide or suicide. Somebody had to leave. And that was, <laughs> that was like, that was like the first five years, but we toughed it out because everyone's yeah. telling you, you don't do this, you don't leave. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we had more support, more transparency and more people telling us, okay, but if we're going to stay, then help us how to stay peaceably. Right. We can't keep living like this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, they're staying together, but they're not staying together peaceably. And yeah. I always said from the beginning, I will not be married and miserable. That's not living. 
I'm not going to be in a Absolutely. situation where I'm walking on eggshells or I can't thrive to be the best version of myself because it's going to provoke your insecurities, you know, and just like when the kids celebrate you, we need to be celebrated too. So um, it has to be a mutual relationship where all parties are becoming the greatest version of themselves, not one person denying who they're supposed because that's a grievous situation too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so... But yes, ma'am. Because it dives all into so many different things like self-acceptance and, and, you know, am I good enough because you you won't allow me to be, you know, and, you you know, it just turns into so many different things. So, um, And and we went through all of that. It was like from the beginning, you know, I'm verbal, you know, I'm bold, you know, I'm speaking my truth, you know, I'm going to ask questions. But then as we get deeper and deeper into the marriage, it's like, well, don't talk so much. Don't be so loud. Don't be so like so much trying to convert and change me from being who I am and it's like that's the greatest version of me and who I am in private is helping you become the greatest version of you yeah. so my boldness my tenacity my resilience right I'm helping you be great but yeah. when it comes to helping me be great then it's yeah. a problem you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and then that's making you know then that's turning um some con- turning him into um this controlling egotistical you know being that you know that's not of God you know what I'm saying? So how, uh, yeah, okay. Well, we just gonna leave that there and put a pin <laughs> in that. And then we're gonna, I wanna go back to the She Rest experience because I definitely want people to understand what that um, whole volume is about and about your publishing company. But I want to also ask, you know, it's so amazing how when you speak and you talk about, you know, you're, you know, on this totem pole, I don't see you as that. I mean, you're like way up here to me. So, you know, it's like, what is she talking about? Anyway, it's, it, it, yeah, we got to stop doing that to ourselves because you got it together, sister. Um, and Thank you. Not only on paper, you're actually doing the work. So um, you have learned how to manage your career, your business efforts effortlessly. Um, I must say, I feel. Share what it takes of being a person director, um, which is huge. And um, also being the founder of Lizzie's Hope and how you're, you know, doing all of that. You know, it all compliments one another. As I said, God has been so good to me. I can't even tell it all. You have me shouting and and tearing up this whole Zoom broadcast because the way it's happened where people think they're stopping something and I'm not going to say my my former spouse was a bad person, but he was, it was instigated and encouraged by other people too. You know, what you going to do with her? That's not how first ladies act. She supposed to be a pastor's wife. So, you know, you really got to be strong and flat footed and know who you are when it comes to these situations. And then when there's power and money and and all of that, it's not just as simple as that, you know, so it's not to demonize anybody, you know, and and that's not what I'm going to do, even if that's what other people do. That's not what I'm going to do. But I will say that you have to know who you are going into it. And so when you go into situations like that, you find balance because you know who you are. So one of the most devastating things for me was I love the platform that I was on. And so when the threat becomes only reason why you're doing this is because you're with me or because you're married to me and these are the privileges that come with it. Yes, it came with privileges, but it wasn't about the privilege of the title. It was about the opportunity to serve. And so when we got divorced, my first job was in psychiatry and behavior health. And I was like, oh my, because I had quit my job, my other nonprofit platforms I was doing with my children in the community to support developing this this ministry. And so I'm like, why you want to do this now? After I don't give up everything to help you do this. 
But this is how good God is. He gave me a job in a place where I was, I had, I, now one thing I did that I encourage everybody to do is I finished my education and I didn't use my degree for several years, but I always tell people death, disability and divorce can happen. And divorce, I never thought about, but if people take sick or an accident happened on the job and you lose that spouse or something, you, you can't predict these kind of things, but you want to have yourself in a position to where you can still maintain your household. So that was always a part of my Sunday school platform, the three Ds and the three people you don't want to owe is child support, uh, IRS and student loan people because they're going to get their money. But that's a whole nother. And that's grief is too, if you owe them three people. But <laughs> that's a whole nother grief if right. your money ain't right. <laughs> right. So, but I balance them because, um, so while I'm healing and processing, I, it was a grant. Let me tell you, every job I got didn't exist until I needed it. Let me tell you how it worked. So the, the MCG um, Medical College, very prestigious research institute, uh, university here in Augusta, they had got this grant called She Prevails. And it was look, it was for women of color who were at high risk for HIV uh, for several different reasons, not to go into deep details. And so uh, it almost was like a new affirmative action where I got the position because I was a black woman, but it was okay. Cause I was a case manager for this grant program. And so while I was healing, I was learning all of these training principles and applications. That was my first time being in the publication. I was going to college campuses and stuff and I'm presenting, but as I'm helping others, I'm also healing myself. Yeah. See, so a lot of times when you're going through stuff, mm -hmm. you think you're going through it for you. And I'm sure you can testify to this, but you're also in preparation for helping other people. So one time Nikki Burns, she's the executive administrative assistant, she said, girl, God must really trust you. And I'm like, what you mean? She's like, see, you go through so many things and the way you handle them, you know, God gives you more. I'm like, look at here, God, you ain't got to keep trusting me because uh, this is, <laughs> you know I feel you on that. Yes. It's like, you've been rewarded for your good stewardship, but I ain't feeling rewarded right now. You know? Right, right, right. I'm broke. I'm in debt. I'm left in debt. I'm doing payday loans. I mean, like totally put on the mask and shades. I'm embarrassed. I'm in this pastor's wife having to get in more debt. And oh. so um, he blessed me in the job with psychiatry, behavior health. I was able to help, you know, several women and then I got comfortable and then it was like you're doing case management but now I have more for you to do and it was so weird because everything that I was doing as a social worker a degree that I had gotten 10 years prior I was already doing it in the church for free now I'm doing it on the job with the salary and benefit coverage for my kids and I, we were never lacking. We were never homeless. I never had to live with nobody. Didn't have to get no welfare, no wig, no food stamps, nothing. Not that I ain't above it, because I, I, I tried. I went down there thinking, I'm a single black mom with three kids now. They said no, and God has made a way like every day. That's why I, said, I get so full because he said, that's not where you are. Don't think like that. You're thinking where you were. This is not where I have you. I got you set up. You got to trust me on this one. And so when people think they're in control of your life and your destiny, that's why you got to go back to your inner person, your spiritual self, your, your whatever you want to call it, because everything you need is already in you. We get blinded by the grief, by the death, by the loss of the relationship, and we forget who we are and what we're supposed to do. So that's that grant ended. I'm like, God, we back here again. I'm back unemployed. Like, what am I supposed to be doing now? And so um, I found another position and it was working with persons with disabilities that ADD, you know, um, certified. I had to get all these federal background checks. Now I'm worried about back worried about people stealing my name because as he transitioned, it was with people who had criminal records and stuff. And I'm like, Lord, I hope ain't nobody tried to steal my ID because I work in governmental sectors and I can't have my name messed up. But I was on this job for a year and a job for a director position came up on the job because I was working helping people find employment. And I was like, this is weird because these type of jobs don't come through like this. Yeah. <laughs> 
on the job. I applied for the job and I got the job as a director. And so my tragedy turned out to be God putting pressure on me to really increase my territory. So I went from, you know, helping 45 women in the Sunday school class to ministering to women at four different sites in psychiatry and behavior health to now being a director of a nationwide youth build program throughout the United States. And then when the pandemic hit, I'm ready to get my $600 a week thinking that they're going to close the program. I was offered another position in a department that didn't exist to create a resident services director position to help not only you know the 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 kids that were in the youth build program but now over 200 residents at one site 100 plus residents at another site so now i have families of nearly a thousand persons that i have stewardship over helping them find social services and programs to help them through the grieving process to help them through the pandemic how do i balance it it all complements itself so while i'm simultaneously building healthy families with lizzie's hope i'm selling books with the she rest journey and i'm working on the job day to day finding social services and resources so i still get to be me in everything that i do so it's not like i have to deny and this is the lady you guys that said she was low on the totem pole not girl i'm done i cannot no ma'am we uh we are not accepting that no no when i I say that it's because it's not i don't take you are amazing it's not like you share the story I mean, even how you tell it, you tell it. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, it just rolls off your tongue because like you said, you know who you are and every walk, every trial, every God just slid right on, slid you even in, just even more cleaner, you know, with your all white head to toe on, just sliding you on in there, girl. He had to, because I start forgetting who I am. And he reminds me like, have you forgotten what I told you and who I told you you were? So who you were, first of all. It, it be guided who you were. Like when it got to that point, especially with divorce, it was like, what are you willing to give up for peace? And it was like, God, I give up anything. And I take, mm. take all this stuff. And it really was where I lived, the five bedrooms, the three bathrooms, the luxury SUV, the Mercedes Benz. I give my little Nissan beep beep and we roll. You know what I mean? So it was going back to the five. When I told you I was in the negative to the buy here, pay here lot, buy the cash car to get my kids back and forth to college to now, you know, no car baby and just debt free. I, it was, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like I said, five years later, I'm just like, but wow. God, you know, and you, look, I got chills. I feel like I'm at a sermon. Like, like I'm at the church. I mean, you're just you're so empowering, and I can I I definitely can see how um Lizzie Hope has expanded because if you're yeah. talking to your 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 constituents and your women and your you know your clients or whatever you're calling them, you're, you you know, it started in the Sunday school class. <sighs> literally, it literally started and in it's the still Sunday coming class. through. And that it came way. through, yeah, through the clinic, working in psychiatry and behavior health, and then expanded through the community and Look the schools, that. and now through the housing authority. And so I'm so humbled and grateful because I serve people and they look at me and, you know, one time, Miss Brown, you just bougie. You don't know. You just up. And I'm like, you don't know my story. Yeah, so you, you, you don't part. know why that I'm part. able to help you sitting here flat footed. You don't scare me. Calm down. First of all, oh, Miss Brown, well, I got a bad temper. Okay, I got one too. Well, I ain't right. take my medication. That You know, like they're saying this stuff, trying to fear me. And it scares them the fact that I'm not scared and they don't understand why. It's like, you don't know the places and spaces I dwell. Right, absolutely. God put me here to help you. I'm not right. going to beg nobody to be no blessing. That's so, right. You gonna calm down and receive this blessing, <laughs> or you can leave and just come back when you're ready. You know, it's like, I need now, you to get out your feelings because emotions wow. don't do that. <laughs> you're amazing. I, I don't cry many tears, and I'm telling you, that's all it is. It's a cry moment. But now you got to go back to plan of action. Now we gonna so cry. Amazing. I'm gonna give you a minute. 
now what are we gonna do <laughs> now let's go into this she rest experience now yes. you have talked about she rest i want people to really understand what it is and how you transition from were you already a publisher first or did you you, you no, no, no. talk about that whole transition no. and how that happened Okay, so divorce happened, finalized 2015. And I told you, I'm broke, I'm looking for money. I was gonna go to the grocery store, apply for Kroger. Like, I have no shame at this point. For me and my kids, do what I gotta do. Told me I can't get no welfare food stamps because you got a job. Okay, that's fine. So I wrote the first book because I went back to where were you at 16, before husband, before kids? What did you want out of your life? What were your goals and aspirations? And one of them I, I did accomplish, I graduated college. I went and got two degrees, my associates and um, bachelors. And so I said, um, that was when I was still married though. I was determined I was gonna finish that because I was in college when I got married. And before I got, I said I do, that was, that's what I'm saying. Going into these relationships, people, have your standard. And even if you fall off, go back to what you originally said. Because I always said, can we wait to get married to after I finish school? Oh no, I mean, I, we just got married right now. I'm not gonna try to stop you from school. Then we get married and every time I try to take a test, it's a fight. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, I had already uh, finished my education, so I, I used my degree. I stopped looking for jobs. Because first, I was so despondent about looking for work. I was looking for jobs, I ain't gonna say beneath me, but jobs that I was overqualified for. Because I'm just looking for work, you know? That's when I looked at the university, got a job with benefits and a salary. And then to supplement my income, I started writing the book. And so initially, I thought I was gonna write a book about myself. Then I thought about my grandmother. Then I published the first book. And I had found a publishing company online and they were talking about self-publish your book, 100% of the proceeds belong to you. Uh, long story short, it just, the way God created me and my intuition and my, it just didn't sound right. And so I, I inboxed three people that had written books and you know how people can be. One person never responded. One person, you know, they tell you what they want to tell you, but they too shame to tell you about their failures or whatever, not knowing you really could bless another person. A third person called me and she actually published work. And I think normally she would have tried to recruit me but because of who I am, she didn't even try. She was just like, I tell you what, Ms. Brown, as long as you do this, this and that, you know, you make sure that's how it's self-published. Then I went to the library and yeah, a lot of people still don't know public libraries are real, very, very uh, resourceful. And it just so happened that the people said, God be blessing me. The person who was a regional director, who was like, she had a pen name and she was like a bestseller and all this stuff. She just so happened to be there for a, a district meeting. And she was on the third floor. And they told me where she was and I went up there. She didn't, she, I had an elevator speech moment with her. Told her where I was in my process. And she said, and I had already paid a deposit, I'm broke. They say you pay off in 12 months. And she said, you need to get your deposit back. She said, how long did it take you to write your book? And I said, I don't really know because for 20 years I kept saying I was gonna write a book. She said, however long it took you to write that book when you finally decided to write it, give yourself that much time to figure out how to self-publish it. And then whatever you can't figure out for yourself, then you pay somebody to do it. And sure enough, I was two days shy of my 30 day deposit to get my money back. And when I called the company and was telling them I wanted the money back, it's like, well, you know, of course they were trying to talk to me. Is there something they could do to change my mind? And then finally, no questions asked. They just sent it back to me. And so then I went into self-publishing and did it myself. And it wasn't to become a publisher for other people right now. I only publish my work, but it's self-published because you have to have a publishing company uh, in place when you upload and, you know, publish your book. So. Yeah. Uh, that's how the self-publishing came into play. <laughs> but I, I had aspired to be a writer. And all of this, again, was in March, March of 2015, because that's a Women's History Month. So, you know, you had these milestones in life where you want to do stuff at a certain time. Yeah. Uh, and that happened. And I um, was able to uh, self-publish it. 
and now how many um books are within this this the she rest is it a what are you there will be seven or is it a what what are you what are you named uh, there will be seven books complete. The first book is in On the Seventh Day She Rests. Okay. There are six characters introduced in the first book, five adult women, one teenage girl, and then there'll be six sequels. It'll be a spinoff from the first book. Each character will have what happens next story. But the genres will be different. I write realistic fiction, but like the second novel was She Rests the Ophelia. She definitely was the most cynical in the first book, but she has some romance genre in her book and she does that 180 and she changed her perspective of life and she changed, she put, see, She Rests is not only a physical rest it's a physical rest i mean a figurative rest in that you're laying the rest situations you're not forgetting that loved one that you lost but you have to lay away lay to rest that grieving process you have to process differently so you can continue to live life there's a reason why you're still here you have to find that reason and that purpose you know you can't just stay there with it uh when the divorce happened i couldn't just stop there there was a reason why these things happened so figuratively i had to lay to rest that relationship goals that i thought we had in place now over time and during seasons like 2020 um, when my daughter graduated high school you got to remember psychologically you're still going through now i'm an empty nester and the plan initially when she was born was when Corey graduates in 2020, this is back in 2002, we're gonna do all these things and you're single. So not only uh, am I empty nester, but now I'm a divorced empty nester, which was never, you know, the plan of action. So with the She Rest journey and the sequels, we'll show how the women go through the process of trying to do things in spite of the fact that these things in life did happen differently than they anticipated. So there's some humor in there, some very candid conversation in there, some very transparent conversation in there. Um, but everyone that has read it, both male and female, both teenagers and adults, um, have read it and they can identify with each of the characters or at least one of the characters and it's very real you know it's realistic I fiction that. I think yeah. that is so amazing I just really wanted everybody to understand that you know that the series of it and yeah how you were able to piece all that together that's so, that's so beautiful thank you for sharing that yeah I it's a collaboration of everything that we said and is is two books are live and ready book three is on the way and then I tell people too that's the vision it will be a seven book series there's seven chapters in each book there's six characters fictional the reader is the seventh character so that way you're connecting and you're a part of the journey but I also am very realistic that I don't rush myself to just put something out there and say I'm the author of 20 books that's why book three is not live yet. And I always say, if it's for me to write the seven books, then I will. But the journey may not be for me to complete. My granddaughter might write the other three books. Right. So uh, embrace the first two. <laughs> jump right. on the Absolutely. Journey. I think book three is on the way. I also have a manuscript that I'm doing because I have a workshop coming up um, on the 20th about how to self-publish in the process of writing your first book. So that'd be published as a manuscript, but it's not a part of the she journey, but it is. Okay. It's the seven steps of basic publishing. So, okay. um, now are yes. there other um, organizations or affiliations that you partner with that uh, are important for you to talk about? Now, Cove Companies is uh, my daughter and I, we co founded ESC 1441. She's actually my book cover model, one of my book editors, and she tag teams with me and makes sure that everything that I'm doing is cohesive. Uh, but she actually is an IT major at Augusta University. She graduated with honors. You see her over there. Um, graduated with honors from AR Johnson Magnet uh, Engineering uh, Pathway at a magnet school. And she actually got her associate's degree in computer science at the same time. So, at uh, 
that stage in the game. And so she has started her digital design uh, business, Cove Companies, and she actually does all of our, um, she keeps me virtual. She does our website design. Uh, yeah, she, she helped me transition during the pandemic. Cause like I said, I got really down and despondent about the inactivity, worried about the women that were on the journey with me and the connectivity. And so um, she really helps undergird that. And then uh, if you see some of my accessories, my eyeshadow I have on today, Cove Cosmetics. So my, my daughter, Cove Companies, she's definitely a sister company of EST 1441, which is our publishing company, which is a subsidiary of author Elizabeth Hope Brown. So yeah, we just ring it all in there together. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness, that is brilliant. Okay. <laughs> that is brilliant. So let's all Yeah, we're doing lineage, honey. We're doing yeah. generational wealth. And, I, and it's it's not accidental. I used to do uh a, a economics program for a year for myself to really learn uh tax deductions and how to learn how to standardize. Uh, my taxes and my travel and my business supplies. So yeah, me and Uncle Sam got a very good understanding. So I'm at <laughs> peace with life right now. <laughs> a lot of us, a lot of different things about uh, a woman on the rise and in business. So thank thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, yeah, the She Rush Journey is more than books. I mean, the books yeah. is, is the heart of it. Lizzie's Hope is actually the real foundation of it all. But we talk about everything. Healthy families is not just everybody loving and kissing and getting along. Is how are you managing your finances? How are you managing controversy? How are you communicate love because sometimes yeah. we need to learn how to better communicate love how do we receive compliments how do we handle controversial issues so well yeah uh, let's go so let's go back into that you've been a social um a social service community in in the community for many right. years so yes. share your expertise of how um others needing supportive services should navigate into that process to gain access for anything is ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Whether you want to start a small business, whether you want to be a book author, whether you are in a dying out situation, this is not the time for pride. You have to ask questions. And if people don't know what's going on with you, they don't know. We're not mind readers and we're not called to be mind readers. And a lot of times part of asking for help is admitting that you need help. So especially for women of color, getting out of this phase, girl, how you doing? Girl, I'm doing good. How you doing? That's not the standard answer anymore. You know what? I'm here. Today is today. You know, I thank you for asking Miami. I've had better days, but we're going to get through this. We need to be more transparent in our response because you don't know what my resources are. And even if I can't help you directly, you don't know who I know. So I am that person that in social services, in business, in family and in life, if people ask me about something, I'm honest to say, I don't know. I do tell you what I do know, because what I know, I know. I'm flat-footed about what I know. What I don't know, I'm humble and saying I don't know. And then, but I don't stop there. We're going to find out who does know though. You know, because somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody know. Because once again, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. There's nothing new under the sun. And what you're going through, somebody else has gone through it too. Might not be the same exact situation, may not be in the same manner, but some version of what you're going through, you got to put the pieces together. You know, like it's, it's referencing the Bible again about having one body of many functions. Everybody's not going to be the expert at everything. And so what Miami is great at, I'm not going to be great at. That's why I need Miami to undergird and help me. And that's what they say, bearing one another's burdens and being my sister's keeper, because you cannot do this journey alone. There's no way. And when people say, ain't nobody never helped me, I didn't on my own. No, you didn't. You might not have acknowledged your help. You might not even realize your help. You may not want to, you know, accept the fact that you do it on your own. But when someone is saying that, that's a lie. And the truth yeah. ain't in them because it's, it's not possible. Whether it was a stranger, friend or foe, someone has to help you on this journey. And you have to make those needs be known. 
So that's always my encouragement to everybody on every platform that I'm on. You got to get to that place of boldness and humbleness. Because sometimes it ain't even about being scared. You got pride. Or people don't told you. Or them false truths passed down from family generations. I was on a call earlier with a family member I've yet to meet from my granddaddy's side of the family from Ancestry.com. Like, we got to stay taking these truths to the grave. People are hurting. People are looking for answers and they shouldn't have to go to Ancestry.com and, and Facebook and Instagram to find them. That's yeah. not the way to do things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. We just open up and, and have that come, you know, and allow ourselves to have those come, those, um, those communications. And yeah. even if they're confrontational, still, we need to talk about it. Um, I think a lot of times uh, the stuff that, you know, our, our family has held in, it truly ends up hurt, hurting us even worse. Yeah. Um um, and it turns into generational because we're still not talking about it and still right. not talking about it. And and then you're wondering why um, little, little John right. is over there acting out right. um, because of some things that we, we could have right. shared with him and, and just being open about, um, you know, our past and, and also things that happened. I'm so glad that you were on here and you really shared a lot about your, your grandparents and their journeys and um, the false hopes and all of those things. Because a lot of times I think even with, when I start working with a lot of the women that I empower and I support them, they're still leaving behind or leaving on the table or not sharing what's beneath the surface that really has disturbed them for so long. If it's past traumas, if it's, you know, um, things that they experienced um, early on in childhood, if it's something that happened within relationships or if it's those insecurities that most of the time our family um give us uh, and when you say we that includes us too you yeah, know yeah, like yeah. I, I was my, my my oldest son he was a year when i got with my um former spouse and for years you know he that was dad you know and so as he got older we had a real debate on when are we gonna tell him that you know you're not dad. and my former he's like I, i'm his daddy he don't need to know and it's like no 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 no. We, we're not doing this no he needs to know and i love the love and, and the spirit that he had behind it and the intent and motive but i knew that wasn't healthy just from time past from my own parental you know situation from my grandparents my grandmother for years we thought my grandmother was just depressed and in denial because she used to always say she didn't remember getting a divorce and i'm like oh grandma just still in love with granddaddy yada yada do you know when she died and i found the paperwork she never did get a divorce he remarried several times but she never oh, but that happened a lot back in then you know because of the and when it was time to file social security they don't forget you ain't got divorced oh, yeah, yeah 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 you're right it'll come back now maybe you right but for years she was made to look like she was just a bitter broken-hearted woman who didn't want to accept the yeah. fact that he moved on and he left her and it was like grandma lizzie was telling the truth that whole time you know yeah. and then the family that i I'm going to meet in June that she that we never thought uncle had enough had a child they thought he was childless yeah. and then when you see the picture of him and my grandfather's like nah he ain't childless <laughs> right. and he got plenty yeah. children <laughs> let me tell you um since you were talking about ancestry.com that's how I learned a lot about like um when I start diving into ancestral healing and yeah. needing to understand what that was and getting mm-hmm. to yeah. know and building the connections with um my ancestors and who they were and the time frame of things that happen and that's how I ended up finding about um in my family that we were a part of the turpentine industry because of doing right. the research on ancestry.com and also just kept diving into it and diving into it and talking um to relatives I was able to find out you know how he even died which he was extracting risen from a tree right. and a tree fell on him but a tr- right extracting this risen from the tree was what they sold to the turpentine industry for mm-hmm. saps and you know things to heal and with me understanding that and learning that and through some of the shamanism work that I do I was able to actually connect with the spirit of uh, my great-great-grandmother which was his wife and in understanding she was a medicine woman 
and yeah. I went on this whole journey and um, 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 actual um, excuse me, um, shamanism, shamanism journey is what I want to say. I went, I went oh. into this deep trance is what I'm saying. I went into this deep trance, was able to actually witness and see all the healing that she did. And that was what had also came down for me that I am this medicine woman. I am here to help people heal, right. not only in the instance of, you know, like curing, um, um, wounds but it's in a different wound it's in a, it's a right. different type of wound work that i'm doing but i'm still the same medicine woman that was in a past life long time ago which was an ancestor of mine but i was able to determine and understand all that by doing of course the work that i do with shamanism but also going back to understanding my my family's history ancestral healing is such an amazing piece and part of what you this is exactly what you're doing it's yeah, just when you said that um before about how you were named and how your father named you and sitting out by the ocean and going back to miami and everything that you're saying no matter your spiritual belief no matter how you practice your belief we are all interconnected i believe in spiritual transference i believe in dna you said something earlier when i taught middle school i used to tell them parents stop telling people i don't know why he act like that at school you know why you know who you have a child with you know how his mom and daddy act you know how your mom and daddy act if we stop acting like we don't know why this child is cutting up in school the child is not going to heal and right. we have to stop denying those kind of things and the thing for me is i have a very loving family and a very close family on both my mom and dad's side and we've all accomplished so many wonderful things but i just can't imagine like had we not dealt with some of this other stuff how much more stuff could we have accomplished right. how many more degrees have we could have attained how much more land could we have purchased how much more money we could have you know stored up had we communicated you know these things and communicated and understandably i hold no fault to them times are different so as every generation goes higher and higher as we share this information as we pass down this knowledge is so that that next that Joshua generation can yeah. be even greater. So I hold no fault to them as far as, you know, what they did. I don't hold no judgment to them. I'll say yeah. it like that. You know, yeah. I understand they did what they did at the time that they thought was best. But as any each generation has more accessibility to more resources, more accessibility to greatness, God is restoring us. And yeah. if we're not sharing those experiences and sharing those, that non-tangible wells of knowledge and information and experiences, because every time we survive one thing, it empowers us to mm -hmm. grow another thing. Another and those Absolutely. natural resources that we have to pass along. Like me, I talk fast. People say I talk funny. I talk deep. And my grandmother used to always say, my grandma Liz would say, oh, that's that Geechee in you. I'm like, what is she talking about? Oh. I grew up in Sacramento. So I'm like, what is she talking about? It wasn't until I'm grown, that you moved learned. back to Georgia, was a part of a church ministry that did a Gullah Geechee tour in South Carolina. Then I was like, that's what my grandma Lizzie was talking about. You know, it's like Geechee is actually a culture of people. Yes, 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 they are. And I never knew that. And it's a really, wow. you know, sad story too about the different uh, heirs property and things that were lost, you know, culturally speaking. But those are the kind of things that I'm talking about that have right to be passed on, you know, knowing sure. about your we'll culture, right knowing here. who your grandparents are. Okay, so that was a great segue. I'm going to do a couple of things here. Let's talk about best qualities of becoming a woman on the rise. What are some best qualities to have? Um, character still matters. I think a lot of people, you know, uh, have uh, misassociated titles, organizations, affiliations with character. And um, I disagree. Your character matter. I don't care what uh, organization, what church, what whatever community uh, association you have on your resume, how you treat people still matters. How you talk to people still matters. Your word is still bond. Uh, no call is the worst call. If you told someone you're going to follow up with them, uh, basic human kindness is still very much a factor to me. Now, in addition to character and human kindness, uh, 
life I'm a lifelong learner you know never think that you know more than you need to know and and even if you at the doctoral degree PhD level and something you can still be back at the certification level and something else because life is ever changing uh resources and uh, you know supplies are always ever changing and then life may shift and you may have to be an expert in something completely new that you didn't anticipate so I think being open-minded to being a lifelong learner uh will definitely help you stay on the rise and uh diversifying the company that you keep I, I have traveled out the country over 10 times and been to 29 states and uh I, it's not a culture of people that I preference I'm a proud black woman my cousin keeps giving me all these you know ethnic things to share with you all uh unapologetically black and you know walk in the room you know exactly what I am ain't no question about it uh however uh, I have some great friends of different races that I have been networking with that have blessed me personally, have been at my weddings, my my kids, you know, events, uh, have been with me in times of crisis. And so uh, I think that there are racial tensions very much still prevalent in this world, but I don't want that to restrict people to thinking that all people from all cultures are any kind of way. Let people be who they are. Get to know them for yourself. And then once they, you know, and then it, once they show you who they are, believe them you know <laughs> i can be naive at times you know i'm the one to be like oh my god i can't believe especially in the southeast that you know blatant racism is still very prevalent yeah. but i don't let that uh turn me off from other people because you need allies on both sides Absolutely. and we would still be in slavery if we didn't have allies on both sides we would still have a lot of uh discriminatory practices if we didn't have allies on both sides absolutely so. now let's talk about your self-care what you okay. do for yourself, girl? What, what, what do you do to take care <laughs> of you and all um, things that you have to balance? Yeah. So self-care, I will say, warning to those of us who are maintaining households, husbands, children, because I did fall off. I had many years in there that I did not uh, prioritize self. And when things were happening with me, whether it was uh, dentistry work that needed to be done and I'd be in pain during the winter time and uh, or just like I need to fill and replace and I took I took too long to get it done because I want to make sure the kids had school clothes and it turned into a root canal, mm -hmm. you know, um, denying myself for way too long, uh, not taking those uh, sister girl trips or not taking trips for myself or just taking myself out to dinner. It's really okay. Uh, I am a person, I do patronize the spa. I, have, I bought me an in-home sauna, you know, during the pandemic, I didn't stop my self-care. I gave myself pedicures. I will go get a pedicure done, but it's not even just prioritizing to do these things, but also doing them without guilt or shame. Let me start there. And then making sure that you're able to do it. So some people do it like, girl, I work hard. I deserve it. But you're not taking care of your household. You're not taking care of your bills. Uh, you're misappropriating funds. That's not self-care. That's mismanagement. Because later on, that's going to come back on you and it's going to hurt. Um, but I, or depending on other people to take care of the responsibilities while you fluff, you know, and, and enjoy your life. So uh, self-care is important, but I think we need to be practical with our self-care. We need to be responsible with our self-care, but we also need to prioritize. It. So whether it's a pedicure, whether it's a massage, whether it's self-care, pampering your own self, because I can do both. Can't nobody love on me better than I can. I had to learn that over the years. Uh, whether it's how I speak to myself, how I, you know, massage my own feet or pay somebody else to do it, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Either way, I'm going to make sure now that I feel good about. And then surrounding, self-care is also surrounding yourself around people who respect and care for you as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, That's you good. can care for yourself all you want, but if you allow toxic people in your space, that energy does transfer. And it's just as if you, you've done nothing at all. 
Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. That exactly what we all need to hear. Um, so what's next for your journey? What you have coming up? I, I, we are maintaining. We are maintaining on the She Rest journey. I think God has relaunched so many things going into 2021, um, showing that same resilience and tenacity, you know, through the childhood uh, experiences of family traumas and through the adult, you know, divorces and, and grievances. Uh, right now, I'm in a place where I'm not going to say I'm just on the hamster's wheel, but I'm, I'm maintaining, you know, I'm working on the book series. We're continuing the She Rest journey. If you're not already on the journey, go ahead and get book one and two, join the journey. If you're not already inspired uh, with Lizzie's Hope, go ahead and follow that page. That's just affirmations and confirmations. A lot of things you already know. You just need to hear it from someone else. And then as a director, I'm in research mode because with the pandemic, there are so many changes in policy right now. Biden's having something tonight at eight, you know, so we don't really still know administratively how this is going to affect the most vulnerable populations and marginal, marginalized communities. So we're kind of still in a waiting period this first quarter of the year, um, but just taking it day by day, staying informed, staying researched, and then and, and learning to shut it down. Um, some days I learn to log off and I don't have any alerts on my phones on purpose. So when it's time for me to get to work, I go to work, but I'm not all day constantly worried about what tomorrow's gonna bring. I have no control over it. Absolutely. You, but you have an upcoming event. Talk about that for us. Lunch and Learn Workshop. Uh, it is, again, I mentioned earlier, for persons who are either first-time authors or looking to self-publish, even if you may have published your first book, but you are looking to... Um, publish your second book yourself or just so you can make more informed decisions and questions to ask of the person that is publishing for you, the workshop will definitely benefit you. If you're not a book author, if you're not looking to self-publish, but you have a small business, it will benefit you as well. In addition to talk about publishing a book, we talk about networking, branding, marketing, um, investing in yourself, what things you need to look into investing in yourself. Like we talked about banking, getting your EIN number, you know, your tax deductions. We really go into all of that within two hours span. Um, it is an informative lunch and learn, casual, informative, and it's interactive. I'm not just the expert. I will go first into uh, sharing information, but it will be interactive and there will be time for Q&A. So if you have an expert that you want to bring, uh, expertise that you want to bring into the conversation, we welcome that as well. Author Elizabeth Hope Brown Facebook page. You can also go to Instagram. My handle is Elizabeth Hope Brown, or you can go to our website at est1441publishing.com. It's all inclusive. You can go to that page, find out about the authors, the founders, the events that we have coming up, the workshop that I just mentioned. It's a one-stop shop for all things. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And how can everyone reach you? Uh, you can reach me on, um, you can reach me on, um, Facebook on my author Elizabeth Hope Brown Facebook page. You can also go to Instagram. My handle is Elizabeth Hope Brown, or you can go to our website at est1441publishing.com. It's all inclusive. You can go to that page, find out about the authors, the founders, the events that we have coming up, the workshop that I just mentioned. It's a one-stop shop for all things. So uh, you can catch me on Facebook, author Elizabeth Hope Brown. Instagram, Elizabeth Hope Brown, or just go to our webpage, est1441publishing.com. Thank you so much. And before I let you go, I always love to ask my um, featured guests uh, about your call to action. Or is there anything or something that we didn't discuss that you'd like to see change or bring further awareness to? 
Um, for a call to action, um, well, today I didn't realize I have my shirt. I will use uh, my breath to speak for those who can't breathe. I think uh, giving a voice to the voiceless is the call of action of the SheRest journey and really empowering people uh, to be inspired, to share their story. So my call to action is share your story. You know, whatever platforms that are available to you or the platform you need to create, the stories need to be told. And I think not only for yourself and your healing process, but also to those that need you and are waiting for you to share your story. All right. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Hope Brown, for coming to It's the Miami Night Show show to share your story, your journey, and all the wealth of knowledge that you have poured into our spirits today. Thank you so much, sister. I really appreciate you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this today. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, Grief Nation listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another transformative segment on It's the Miami Night Show Grief Talk. Today, we give thanks filled with love and gratitude to our special guests for expressing your very unique grief journey and sharing ways of understanding the healing process. This is your girl, Miami Night, with much love and light until we connect again spiritually. Bye-bye. He's got me walking that grief walk. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. It's the Miami Night Show. Hey, yeah. Slow mo. He's got me walking that grief walk. Going slow mo. He's got me talking that grief talk. Going slow mo. He's got me clocking the way. What up, tribe? It's Miami Night Show, Master Coach. Hey, yeah. Welcome to the Miami Night Show. He got me walking that grief walk. It's time for grief talk, y'all. Yeah. I talk about things you think about. It's my midnight show, Master Coach.